Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in the wilds of Connecticut, This is Obscure, the podcast in which I read Jude the Obscure out loud and comment on it as I go. I am your host, Michael Ian Black, and I say to you, Alleluia. When last we left Jude, he had found somebody. It was his cousin, a cousin whom he did not know, but whose portrait he saw over the mantle at his aunt's home there in Mary Green. He has held that photo now close to his breast. He has obsessed over this photo, the photo of his cousin Sue Bridehead. If ever there was a more Dickensian name, I haven't heard it other than from Dickens himself. And now he has found her. He has found her working in Christminster at a shop which seemed to be kept entirely by women. And it had books in it and and Anglican texts and and fancy goods, it says, and, and little plaster angels on brackets. It's like one of those shops that you see at the mall that just sells like Christian stuff. And you walk by it and you go, who works there? Who who shops there? Well, Sue Bridehead works there, and now Jude is shopping there, and he has espied her, but she has not seen him, or if she has, she does not know who he is, Um, and she is working on a little piece of zinc, and I'm quoting, cut to the shape of a scroll three or four feet long, encoded with a dead surface paint on one side, and... There she was designing in characters of church text the single word, Alleluia. 
And that's where we left off last time. And now we resume with him in the midst of this angel, this angel Sue Bridehead, who so resembles he in temperament and voice and countenance. They even look alike. It is the classic Narcissus myth come to life. Jude is staring, in a sense, at himself, and he is saying, Alleluia. Kind of gross, but also sexy. So he's staring at her work, and it says, Hallelujah. And he says, and I'm, I'm at the book now, a sweet, saintly Christian business hers, thought he. Her presence here was now fairly enough explained, her skill in work of this sort having no doubt been acquired from her father's occupation as an ecclesiastical worker in metal. So her dad works in metal, he works in stone. She works in metal, he works in stone. His aunt works in breads and pastries. He works in stone. The lettering on which she was engaged was clearly intended to be fixed up in some chancel to assist devotion. He came out. It would have been easy to speak to her there and then, but it seemed scarcely honorable towards his aunt to disregard her request so incontinently. His aunt had said, stay away, stay away from your cousin Sue Bridehead. Stay away. She didn't want Jude to to mix up with her and her kind. She had used him roughly, but she had brought him up. And the fact of her being powerless to control him lent a pathetic force to a wish that would have been inoperative as an argument. I don't understand anything that I just said. Wait a second. So it would have been easy to speak to her there and then, but it didn't seem honorable to his aunt because she had said, stay away. So she had used him roughly. The aunt got it, but she had brought him up. Okay, got it. Uh, So she had raised him. And the fact of her being powerless now to control him lent a pathetic force to a wish that would have been inoperative as an argument. So he basically he's saying, "Uh, you're not my real mom and I'm 18 and I can do what I want. But he feels bad because she raised him, even though, like it says, she had used him roughly, but she had brought him up. So Jude gave no sign. He would not call upon Sue just yet. He had other reasons against doing so when he had walked away. She seemed so dainty beside himself in his rough working jacket and dusty trousers that he felt he was as yet unready to encounter her as he had felt about Mr. Phillotson, and how possible it was that she had inherited the antipathies of her family and would scorn him as far as a Christian could, particularly when he had told her that unpleasant part of his history which had resulted in his becoming enchained to one of her own sex whom she would certainly not admire. Do not... Approach Sue Bridehead, Jude says to himself. She is so dainty like a flower, and what are you but a brute? You, in your rough work clothes, in your dusty trousers, you think you could ever seduce such a maiden as she? I mean, this is just Harlequin stuff right now. The rough working man coming upon the dainty farmer's daughter, right? Arranging flowers in a basket. Who is he to think 
reeking of cow patties and such, that he could ever seduce such a dainty madam. Well, we don't know. And also, his family comes from filth, and she knows it. He's nothing to her. Who does he think he is, anyway? Mr. Big and his britches stone mason. Who does he think he is? That's what Jude is, Jude is abrading himself with these thoughts. And, my God, what when she finds out what he did in his past, his sullied, filthy past, enchained to one of her own sex whom she would not admire. In other words, when she finds out he married a common beer slinger at a public house who faked her own pregnancy, how could she possibly have respect for him? Well, I'll answer that for you, Jude. She couldn't. This is not meant to be. Maybe I should just put the book right down because I don't want to see you make a fool of yourself. I don't want to see you make a spectacle of yourself in front of your saintly cousin, Sue Brida. I'm just going to put the book down. I'm never going to pick it up again. That's the end of the podcast, everybody. It's over. Adieu. Goodbye. Or do we want to see him approach her? Do we want to see the kind of trouble they will get into together? back to the book. Thus, he kept watch over her and liked to feel she was there. So he doesn't approach her. He just stalks her instead. Much better plan, Jude. Much better. Don't approach. Just hover. Psycho. The consciousness of her living presence stimulated him. Yeah, I bet it did because you're a fucking psycho, Jude. But she remained more or less an ideal character about whose form he began to weave curious and fantastic daydreams. Okay, so I'm going to interrupt again because that's what I do. But Martha and I just watched the TV series I Love Dick on Amazon. And if you haven't seen it, I'm going to recommend it. I had been reluctant to watch it because I don't like the title I Love Dick. It seemed too kitschy to me. Okay, it's eight episodes, and I was very unsure of it at first. Over the course of the eight episodes, I feel like I understood it, and I kind of fell in love with it. Uh, the great performances, by the way, by Catherine Hahn, in particular, Griffin Dunn, who's amazing, and Kevin Bacon, who's also very good. But it's exactly about this, this idea of being more or less an ideal character about whose form one can begin to weave curious and fantastic daydreams. It's about objectification. And that's what Jude is now doing with Sue Bridehead, except in I Love Dick, it's the it's the reverse. Instead of male objectification of women, it is female objectification of a man. Dear Dick. This is about obsession. How do we not know each other before now? This is about me missing you, even though I've never met you, Dick. Hi, I'm, I'm Chris Krause. Well, hello, Chris Krause. Dick, right? That's me. Uh, I've heard a lot about you, Dick. Love, love that you just go by Dick, because usually someone would, you know, if one is born a Richard, they would... Rich, Rick, Richie, Ricky. There's so many. Interesting. It causes all kinds of problems because you, you idealize somebody and you think that they're one thing because that's the thing you want them to be. And you develop queer notions in your head about this person. And 
I guess that would be fine if you did not ever approach them and if you were content uh, to have, as uh, Jude is doing, a living presence stimulating him from a distance. If it was from a distance and she never knew about it and, you know, you were just being a quiet psycho, I guess that's okay. But we know that's not what's going to happen. Back to the book. Between two and three weeks afterwards. Jude was engaged with some more men outside Crozier College in Old Time Street in getting a block of worked freestone from a wagon across the pavement before hoisting it to the parapet which they were repairing. Standing in position, the head man said, Spake when you heave, hey-ho! And they heaved. All of a sudden, as he lifted... He, his cousin stood close to his elbow, pausing a moment on the bend of her foot till the obstructing object should have been removed. She's standing right there. They've got this stone and he, and, and, and he looks up and there she is construction workers on the street. I hope there's no cat calling. She looked right into his face with liquid untranslatable eyes that combined or seemed to him to combine keenness with tenderness and mystery with both their expression as well as that of her lips taking its life from some words just spoken to a companion and being carried on into his face quite unconsciously she no more observed his presence than that of the dust motes which his manipulations raised into the sunbeams. Do you ever see that sometimes when I, I, I sort of like to do this when somebody's having a conversation with somebody like they see on the street and then the conversation ends and then their expression on their face kind of remains for a few moments as they're walking away. And then you gradually watch that expression kind of fade from their faces. That I think is what just happened with Sue Bridehead. She'd just been talking with somebody and she was in the afterglow of that conversation. And he sees her in that afterglow, that, that moment of her still being in her own thoughts, uh, her, her thoughts with that person. And she is totally unconscious of him. Um, no more conscious than she is of the dust motes going into the sunbeams. His closeness to her was so suggestive that he trembled and turned his face away with a shy instinct to prevent her recognizing him, though as she had never once seen him, she could not possibly do so, and might very well never have heard even his name. It's like when you like somebody in class and somebody says, well, does she like you? And you go, I don't even think she knows I exist. That's what you, that's what's going on with Jude. I don't even think she knows I exist. I'm nothing to her. He could perceive that though she was a country girl at bottom, a latter girlhood of some years in London and a womanhood here had taken all rawness out of her. He's working with the raw stone. He sees her, this refined creature, and the contrast couldn't, could not be more clear. He, rough, she, refined. How will they ever get together? I mean, it's a sitcom, you guys. It's a sitcom. It's, uh, it's home improvement. You know, he's Tim Allen, the working man. 
with the bride, Patri- uh, Patricia Heaton. Was that the woman on Home Improvement? Or no, she was on Everybody Loves Raymond. But you know what I mean. It's the working man and, uh, and the high-class lady. It's, uh, it's Bert and Mary Poppins. How will they ever get on? Well, laughs are plenty, I'll tell you that. When she was gone, he continued his work, reflecting on her. He had been so caught by her influence that he had taken no count of her general mold and build. He remembered now that she was not a large figure, that she was light and slight of the type dubbed elegant. That was about all he had seen. There was nothing statuesque in her. All was nervous motion. She was mobile, living, yet a painter might not have called her handsome or beautiful. But the much that she was surprised him. She was quite a long way removed from the rusticity that was his. How could one of his cross-grained, unfortunate, almost accursed stock (laughs) have contrived to reach this pitch of niceness? London had done it, he supposed. Right, so she was just like him. Just a farmer girl, just 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 a hayseed from out in the middle of nowhere, you know, on the weekends, probably uh, getting in her pickup and cruising past the Dairy Queen, hoping to wolf whistle at the captain of the, uh, the, uh, the local football team. But then she had moved to the big city and the big city had shaped her into the woman that she is, statue, not statuesque, neither handsome nor beautiful, but refined and elegant. All the country had been taken out of her. But we know, guys, we know right? You can take the girl out of the country. You can't take the country out of the girl. Dolly Parton taught us that. She's Dolly Parton, you guys. From this moment, the emotion which had been accumulating in his breast as the bottled up effect of solitude and the poetized, poetized, So the uh, poetized, I mean, I know what it means, but I've never heard, seen that word. And the poetized locality he dwelt in, meaning this kind of romantic notion of, of the, the, that he was living in, insensibly began to precipitate itself on this half visionary form. And he perceived that whatever his obedient wish in a contrary direction, he would soon be unable to resist the desire to make himself known to her. Well, no shit. I mean, we just wasted how many pages going, well, I'm not going to say hi to her. Okay, I'll go say hi to her. Like we know, Jude, the only one you were lying to here was yourself. And Thomas Hardy, if you think you had us fooled, you did not. You did not, Tom Hardy, not even a jot. He affected to think of her quite in a family way since there were crushing reasons why he should not and could not think of her in any other. The first reason was that he was married. Okay. And it would be wrong. Well, are you married, Jude? I mean, she's gone to Australia. Once you get past, look, once you leave the island, once you leave the hemisphere, at that point, safe to say you're not married. Now, 
I have a suspicion. I said it earlier, and I'm going to say it again. We have not seen the last of Arabella, but for all intents and purposes, as far as Jude knows, and as far as I know at this point, Arabella has gone down under, and she is not going to make her way back. So are you really married? I mean, yeah, technically, but you you know, you've been abandoned. It was all under false pretenses anyway. You're not really married. The second was that they were cousins. Well, that would be first for me. Like incest to me supersedes the fact that I have a legal contract with somebody. I have never made out with any of my siblings, even before I was married. I'll tell you right now, I shared a bedroom with my brother. I have a younger sister. We grew up together. Um, There would have been plenty of opportunities for any of us to make out with each other, and we didn't do it. Uh, And I'm telling you, it wasn't because any of us were married. We weren't. There was just something about the fact of us being siblings that prevented us from making out and even from wanting to make out with each other. And that's not a slight to my brother or my sister. Terrific people. I not only didn't make out with them, never had any desire to. And I suspect they didn't with me either. And again, that would have been my first reason, not my second. It was not well for cousins to fall in love, even when circumstances seemed to favor the passion. The third, even were he free... In a family like his own, where marriage usually meant a tragic sadness, marriage with a blood relation would duplicate the adverse conditions, and a tragic sadness might be intensified to a tragic horror. (laughs) Yeah, what he's saying is, yeah, Jude, yeah, exactly right. The reason uh, cousins don't marry each other or siblings is because the offspring of such a union could be literal monsters. They could come out like Rosemary's baby writhing in Satan's blood. All three of those reasons, let's be honest, are pretty good reasons why Jude should stay the hell away. So he probably will, right? Let's just close the book and assume he will. He's thought it through. He's a smart kid. We know, I think, that Jude is incapable of making this sort of mistake. So let's just close the book and I wish you adieu. But of course, that's not what's going to happen. Therefore, again, he would have to think of Sue with only a relation's mutual interest in one belonging to him, regard her in a practical way as someone to be proud of, to talk and nod to, later on to be invited to tea by, the emotions spent on her being rigorously that of a kinsman and well-wisher. So would she be to him a kindly star in elevating power, a companion in Anglican worship, (laughs) a tender friend? Yes, they're just going to be church-going buddies together. That uh, I think that's a reasonable assumption on Jude's part. He really is a fucking psycho. So that is the end of chapter two in part the second. I think we should go on a little bit to see what kind of trouble he gets into in chapter three. But let's take a quick break first here on Obscure. Obscure. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Season two of Big Grande's Teacher's Lounge is out now on Earwolf and in your podcast apps. The show is about four incompetent high school teachers who try to keep it together while doing everything wrong. These episodes with guests like Lauren Lapkus, Paul F. Tompkins, and Carl Tart were paywalled in Stitcher Premium, but now, 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 they're free! In this season, the guys are rehired at Hamilton High School after making some lofty promises like bringing back the track team from last to fast and making the school newspaper one of the most popular publications in the world. Their new motto, overpromise, underdeliver. The show stars Drew Tarver, Dan Lippert, Ryan Rosenberg, and John Mackey. Check out all of season two of Big Grande's Teacher's Lounge, now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Back on Obscure, I'm Michael Ian Black. We're starting chapter three in part the second of Jude the Obscure. But under the various deterrent influences, Jude's instinct was to approach her timidly. And the next Sunday, he went to the morning service in the Cathedral Church of Cardinal College to gain a further view of her, for he had found that she was frequently attended there. Yes, in his stalking, uh, he had found where she goes to church, where she works, what she does, what she is, who she likes, what she eats. He is, uh, you know, I've had nothing but sympathy for Jude this entire time. I continue to have tremendous sympathy for Jude. I worry now about Jude's well-being because he's stalking this lady. She did not come, and he awaited her in the afternoon, which was finer. He knew that if she came at all, she would approach the building along the eastern side of the great green quadrangle from which it was accessible, and he stood in a corner while the bell was going. A few minutes before the hour for service, she appeared as one of the figures walking along under the college walls, and at sight of her, he advanced up the side opposite and followed her into the building, more than ever glad that he had not as yet revealed himself. 
to see her, and to be himself unseen and unknown was enough for him at present. Good. Then let it go, dude. Let it go. Just admire her from afar and let it go. He lingered a while. Oh, so he's not going to. He lingered a while. I mean, that is a surprise, isn't it? He lingered a while in the vestibule. I I thought he was just going to let it go. And the service was some way advanced when he was put into a seat. It was a luring, mournful, still afternoon when a religion of some sort seems a necessary to ordinary practical men and not only a luxury of the emotional and leisured classes. Well, that's interesting. That's very interesting because I've gotten, I have gotten the impression here that Thomas Hardy is not really a fan of religion, uh, at least in the organized sense. You know, like he, I think he's a little suspicious of the power of religion over people and of its corrupting influence. And he's looking at almost as a uh, affliction of the the upper classes, the middle and upper classes, who can luxuriate in the in in the emotion of it, but he's saying there are times, like in these mournful still afternoons, when uh, even workmen like Jude uh, have a need for it to, I guess, stir the soul like a breeze might stir you. So Hardy is saying there is some benefit here in the dim light. In the baffling glare of the clerestory windows, he could discern the opposite worshippers indistinctly only, but he saw that Sue was among them. He had not long discovered the exact seat that she was occupied when the chanting of the 119th psalm in which the choir was engaged reached its second part, in quo corrige, I don't know, I don't know, it. you know, you guys, you don't know what, I, you know, I don't know what that, god damn it, I'm going to look it up. <sighs> In quo, C-O-R-R-I, here's what it sounds like. The organ chanting to a pathetic Gregorian tune, <laughs> as the singers gave forth. I do like that, that he calls it a pathetic Gregorian tune. Because uh, those Gregorian tunes really do have a lot of pathos in them, don't they? And this is the line, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? It was the very question that was engaging Jude's attention at this moment. What a wicked, worthless fellow he had been to give vent as he had done to an animal passion for a woman and allow it to lead to such disastrous consequences. Then to think of putting an end to himself, then to go recklessly and get drunk I mean, Jude has made a lot of mistakes in his life. He's categorizing them for you. And then we hear the Gregorian chant, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How will Jude purify his soul after all these terrible, terrible mistakes that he has made, letting his animal passions get the best of him with Arabella? The great waves of pedal music tumbled round the choir, 
and nursed on the supernatural as he had been, it is not wonderful that he could hardly believe that the psalm was not specially set by some regardful providence for this moment of his first entry into the solemn building. Well, this is kind of an absurd thing to say. I mean, yes, we understand in our own lives when we reach some sort of fortuitous moment, some serendipitous moment, and we say, oh, this must have been placed here by, by the hand of God. And we can understand why Jude would say that. He's walking in at the perfect time. However, we also know it's a book, and Thomas Hardy himself, in this case, is God, so he could have them play whatever psalm he wants. It's a little disingenuous of Thomas Hardy to basically call himself God, which he is for Jude, but not for us, the reader. And yet, it was the ordinary psalm for the 24th evening of the month. The girl for whom he was beginning to nourish an extraordinary tenderness was at this time ensphered by the same harmonies as those which floated in his ears. Yeah, and she's probably wondering how she gets cleansed too after buying some naughty statues. She was probably a frequenter of this place and steeped body and soul in church sentiment as she must be by occupation and habit had no doubt much in common with him. Yes, we know, Jude. You said it before. Like, you have invested in this poor girl so much, and you want to believe that she is so much like you, that when you finally meet, and what? You fall in love, and what? You have a kid, and what? Something is going to, and that kid is is Rosemary's baby. Something is going to happen that makes you realize you are, in fact, two individuals with two very distinct worldviews, and all of your idealism will be shattered. That's what's going to happen, because you're a fucking idiot and a fucking psycho. If it seems like I'm in a bad mood today, I don't know. Maybe I am. Look, we're all having troubles, right? I'm having my own troubles. They don't involve love, though. I am very much in love. (sighs) With my own voice, it seems like. To an impressionable and lonely young man, the consciousness of having at last found anchorage for his thoughts, which promised to supply both social and spiritual possibilities. I realized I never gave you the actual translation of what that means. This is in French. Don't give me French. Give me English. Stupid dick. English. Inquo corrige. I know. I mean... <laughs> I'm so frustrated right now. I'm just going to ignore it. I don't know what it means. You know what it means? I'm incorrigible. That's what it means. You're incorrigible. How are you going to clean yourself, stupid? That's what it means. All right. I'm just translating it myself. To an impressionable and lonely young man, the consciousness of having at last found anchorage for his thoughts, which promised to supply both social and spiritual possibilities, was like the dew of Herman, and he remained throughout the service in a sustaining atmosphere of ecstasy. Though he was loath to suspect it, some people might have said to him that the atmosphere blew as distinctly from Cyprus as from Galilee. Okay. Jude waited till she had left her seat and passed under the screen before he himself moved. She did not look towards him. And by the time he reached the door, 
she was halfway down the broad path. Being dressed up in his Sunday suit, he was inclined to follow her and reveal himself, but he was not quite ready. And alas, ought he to do so with the kind of feeling that was awakened in him? Right. Very good question. Should you go up to a complete stranger and say, you are everything to me. You are the anchor for my thoughts. I am in love with you. I am in love with everything that you are. And I have been stalking you for weeks. I know everything about you. I'm in love with you. Guess what? You're my cousin. So let's just be pals. Should he do that? That's what I would do. Hey, stranger, we're related. I love you. Let's not do anything about it. Do you want to hang out? Oh, yes. Stranger that has been stalking me. I would love I would love to hang out with you. Oh, you know where I work? Oh, you know that I come to this church every week? That's not weird. Yeah, let's hang out. Is there someplace very private where we could go where you could chop me into pieces? Because... I've been I've been actually looking for somebody to like hang out with so that they could chop me into pieces. Does that sound good? I mean, are you interested in that? Yeah. I mean, that sounds great. We don't know what's going to happen here, but there is still a sense of hope. It is that mystery hope that all of us have when we are enraptured with somebody and we and we don't know whether those feelings will be reciprocated. It is kind of a delicious time right? That moment of, I like her, but she doesn't even know I exist. It's like me with Taco Bell, as we said in the very first episode of this podcast. There is a sickness that descends into the soul. That sickness can be from flying on an airplane for eight hours and feeling like, oh, geez, I I just have an unsettled stomach. I just need something. Let me eat Taco Bell. And we know that's a mistake. Or it can be a sickness of love. And you think the solution is Taco Bell. Either way, Taco Bell is never the solution. However, Taco Bell led to this podcast and the Taco Bell solution may lead to some kind of love for Jude. There was a short-term gain here that could be achieved, but Taco Bell is never the long-term solution to anything. And so I'll leave you with that. And perhaps you are dreaming of that little chihuahua saying, Yo quiero Taco Bell. Well, it's been an exciting episode, hasn't it? Jude, he has circled ever closer to Sue Bridehead, she is now right there, right there in his sight. And he is in his best suit, and she in her Sunday finery. And he does not know if he can approach her, and if he does, what should he say? I think, I suspect, we will find out next time on an all-new, utterly scintillating, spellbinding episode of Obscure. But until then... I wish all of you adieu. Obscure is brought to you by Earwolf. For more information on Obscure, visit our show page at Earwolf.com and be sure to subscribe to Obscure in your favorite podcast app like Stitcher or Apple Podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you've heard, please... Write us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't like what you've heard, take it up with Thomas Hardy. 
Obscure is produced by Jennifer Brennan, Mary Shimkin, and Robin Lynn, who also mixed and edited today's show with music composed by Craig Wedron. Special thanks to everyone at Earwolf, especially Chris Bannon, Colin Anderson, and the Earwolf engineer team of Brett Morris, Sam Kiefer, and Ryan Connor if you would like information about sponsoring our show. And you would. Email hello at midroll.com from the wilds of Connecticut. I'm Michael Ian Black. Dale, y'all! This is Tony Rodriguez. This is Carlos Santos. This is Riza Licea. And this is Oscar Montoya. When our powers combine, we are Spanish Aquí Presents. We have a brand new podcast here on Earwolf, bringing you the best of the best of lo mejor of the Latinx comedy. Join us every Tuesday as we chat about what's going on in our lives, Latinx culture, and ¿qué es lo que? Lo que no está picando. Lo que te pica. Don't worry, we'll tell you what that means if you listen. We'll also be joined by a new guest every single week. We'll get to know a little bit more about their lives. Every single week. Uh-huh. And then we'll make them sit back and watch us improvise their lives right back to them. Improvisation. <laughs> Spanish Aki Presents premieres July 16th. Subscribe now in Stitcher. Apple Podcasts. Or wherever you listen. Hola, Nezea. Spanish Aki Presents. 